0: Let me pray god i thank you that you are with us i thank you that you promise to make everything right and your mission is a wonderful great mission and we trust you in that mission and so jesus today as we approach your word in galatians god i pray that you would um that you would open up our eyes that you would transform our hearts that you would allow us to align with what you are doing and allow us to see it accurately in jesus name amen sorry excuse me one second (coughs) that's awkward all right it's funny how coughing is such a simple thing and now it's you know taboo um so over the past 20 years the world has changed significantly It, it i think back to new year's 19 or the end of 1999, coming into Y2K and all the hysteria about the end of the world and about the way the digital world was either going to collapse or somehow take over. Um, something was going to happen at Y2K. There were books written about it. There was, there was everything was set up for this apocalyptic moment. And I remember, I remember the exact moment of, of Y2K. I remember standing and going, that's it. That's the apocalypse, that just happened. Okay, but obviously that wasn't it. That wasn't what just happened, and uh, and so we we see that that in that you know we had this great expectation that something was going to happen, and then you know nothing happened. But yet something did happen. The world has changed radically since Y2K. Everything changes, and and I can actually I can actually show you s- just one glimpse of how the world has changed. Um, I was looking last week or a couple weeks ago, I watched the Bourne Identity series. It was a good movie series, and it was released, the first of it was released in 2002. And the story is of Jason Bourne, who is this guy who, he's a trained assassin, and he's, he's gone through all this stuff, and he works for the CIA, and, and he loses memory, and then he is, he's on a hunt on a hunt to stop all this bad stuff from happening, on a hunt from either being assassinated or, um, or just shutting down the whole program, as it were. It was, It's was supposed to be a real-life spy movie in contrast to the Bond movies, which are completely made up, where, where, the s- where the gadgets are completely made up and you're just like, really? Like, seriously? You can have that much ammunition on a BMW? Um, and so, so in Bond they they really explode everything but in born they bring everything down to the real what was current in terms of technology it didn't age well it didn't age well at all when you watch the first bond or born movie you'll notice that in Langley the CIA headquarters they didn't have recognizable access to the internet like it's huge they're they're in the headquarters and they've got these massive you know 13-inch CRT tube computer monitors. They're running like Windows something. Looks like Windows 3.1. And you're just like, what is this? And then there is one cell phone in the entire movie. It's a Nokia cell phone. It's this little block cell phone that is a complete paperweight now. Um, Bourne himself uses payphones. He puts quarters into a payphone. When was the last time you used a payphone? Honestly, um, in movie two, they got a little bit better. The Motorola Razor had been introduced, and so there's a Motorola Razor flip phone. Remember those? I hated them, um, but some people liked them. There was also a tungsten Palm Pilot. Palm Pilot. How many people in our congregation have ever used a Palm Pilot? Honestly, there are a couple. Yep, there are a couple. I believe it. I didn't even remember these existed, but Bourne visited an internet cafe. An internet cafe. Like, what is that? What is an internet cafe? Um, And and so in movie three, three, they actually got a little bit further along. LCD screens make an appearance. Blackberries are used. Who uses a black? Oh, no, we have people in our church that use blackberries. I won't slam blackberries. Um, But there was no touchscreen technology whatsoever. This is still considered a modern movie. It's an absolute modern movie where we're still being involved in, in, you know, just the modern world and what's happening, but it's all been post the year 2000. All of these changes are post the year 2000, and it's been changing fast. Society, not just in technology, but society has changed quickly. It's changed in structure, in belief, in crisis aversion, in its focus on safety. We have changed significantly and so because of that we live in a world that sees change as a constant and this affects the way we read scripture which i'm going to get to in just one moment the way we read scripture is seriously affected by the way we live a life of constant change it affects how fast we expect god to work in us It affects the way that we think of everything and we'll see it in our text today It affects our belief structures and sometimes it creates a sense of inferiority because We might read scripture and how fast things happen in scripture and go Well, why isn't god doing that for me or i'm not changing fast enough? And we it creates doubt is god actually doing anything? And it makes us feel small and insignificant. So let me read a, a set of 13 verses right now. And I'm going to read from Galatians 1, uh, verse 11, all the way through to the end of Galatians 1. Um, so let's, uh, let's go with this. It's a little bit more than 13 verses, sorry. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father, but when he who set me apart from before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anybody. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to to visit Caiaphas, and remained with him fifteen days, but I saw none other than the apostles. I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing you, before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cil- Cilicia, oh, Cilicia. Sorry, and I was still unknown in persons until the church of Judea. That are in Christ and sorry they only were hearing it said he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and they glorified God because of me and so so what we have is we have this this 13 verse period here that's reframing reframing the life of Paul. And I just read it in less than two minutes. I read it in less than two minutes, but it covers over three years. We tend to think that God's miracles are instantaneous, and sometimes they are, but they are not always. This passage, when we slow it down, shows us that the miracles of God are sometimes slower than we thought. The transformation of life is slower than what we thought so the changes that god will bring in your life they follow a pattern and they take time they take time you know paul in in every way if we go back to Promised church's um discipleship wheel paul was in every way a rule follower by his own testimony paul understood what he what his life was supposed to do he followed God. Checkbox, that's what he did. He just followed God. He, his whole life, he just said that his whole life, he's, he's persecuted the church of God violently, trying to destroy it, because he was advancing in Judaism beyond people of his own age. Paul, through his actions, was living out what he saw as the promises of God for inclusion into God's chosen people, Israel. And so Paul, he, he lists his, his credentials, as an esteemed Jew in many locations in the New Testament. And so he's following perfectly. Paul is in. He is the ideal of what it is to be Jewish in the first century. So if we place Paul on the discipleship wheel, we see that Paul's concerned with his actions and people's actions. He is clearly a disciple of God following the way of God. And he's concerned about his own actions. He's concerned about what I do. And God, in, you know, and, and that, that's, what, that's what's happening. But when God starts to reset Paul in the Acts 9 story, where he's going to Damascus and he's going to go persecute the Jews and he's knocked, on, he's knocked blind by a great light, Paul starts to re, be reset by God. He enters into the next stage, which is a questioning stage. And in this questioning stage, the orientation of life is reset from what does God want me to do to a much larger question of what is God doing? Paul starts to to take the focus off of this appropriate thing of what does God want me to do. There's nothing wrong with that question. And he moves into the next natural progression is What is God doing? Wait a second, especially in Paul's context, something has significantly shifted from his expectation. Namely, the resurrection of Jesus. And so, because this shift has happened, Paul has to go to the logical question, which is, what is God doing? What is he doing here? See, reset questions take time. In verse 17 it says, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years I went to Jerusalem. This takes time. And so this process of of getting it together and saying, okay, so I have believed this about God. I have been following in this direction. God has aligned my life in this way, and then God does something, and it drives us from following into questioning where we go, whoa, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? And maybe some of us in our life today have gone to a place where we have had to step back from our normal constant life our our normal way of doing things even through a changing world this this massive radical change has actually made some of us have to step back and say god what are you doing what on earth are you doing see the radical peace that paul experienced was so transformative that Paul stepped back and he said, what are you doing, God? And God was faithful. God was faithful and it takes time. See, we're so accustomed to change, we run the risk of undervaluing the depth of change that God wants to do in us, that God has called us to. We're just so accustomed to change, and sometimes our change is so superficial that it's like, oh yeah, I changed this. I, I changed the color of my living room. I, 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 I renovated this. I, I changed my job. I, you know, we're change, change, change. I got a new car. And we're, we're very used to a fast pace of change, and sometimes we don't understand the depth of change that God is actually calling us to, the type of change that takes a lifetime, the type of change that actually digs down deep into our persona, into who we are. We run the risk of underestimating the time that change is going to take. Sometimes we, we think that, we can, that, we're, that we're good once we can hear and repeat. Oh yeah, I know that. I can hear and repeat the gospel message. Oh, Jesus loves me, he came and died for my sins to forgive me of my sins so that I could live forever with him. But is that it? Isn't there a deeper peace that's going on? Isn't there something that actually calls us to something more significant? Let us not undervalue the work that God is doing in our life. For three years, God changed Paul's entire worldview. He went away into Arabia, and then Paul introduces himself to Peter. So what were you doing three years ago? Um, How long ago was was three years? (coughs) In some ways, that wasn't very long at all. But in other ways, three years ago was a long time. I mean, you didn't go to promised church three years ago. You've changed churches. And that's a big deal. Paul questioned everything about his previous worldview and religious structure. So let's not miss the significant time investment it's gonna take God to reset your worldviews and your values And let's not oversimplify it Christianity is more than a creed Christianity changes your entire worldview it's a changing of place of of where I fit so so something significant has happened here when I say that I am no longer Lord of my life I am no longer the one who is in control of all my own decisions but I defer I willingly submit my decisions to the Lordship of Jesus Christ I willingly give him everything. And so so this is really important. It changes everything about where I fit. See, God will lead you to question. But the questions he's gonna lead you in are questions that aren't about me, but they're about him. God, what are you doing in my life? What, What are you doing in the world? What are you doing with this pandemic? One of the theological arguments about Paul, um, Paul's experience today that exists, is actually a question of how Paul interpreted the first century world. See, there were two very unique worldviews that were going on when, when Paul was, was going through this change which transformed the world. He's, he's looking at Judaism, and he's looking at it and saying, what does it mean that Jesus rose from the dead? But many theologians have said, well, what Paul did is Paul covered over all Jewish beliefs with a Greek dualist belief. And for many years, that was the held position that God, that God, or that Paul overwrote Judaism with a Greek dualism, a battle between good and evil and, and all of this other stuff that actually tends towards what would be called Gnosticism. But it would seem to fit better That Paul chose to say, I am relying and staying within my Jewish world and allowing God to shift my understanding of what happened when Jesus rose from the dead. To, To follow logically down the Jewish line of thought, what does it mean when the Messiah comes? What does it mean in the context of the promises of Abraham? What does it mean? And so, you know, Paul is, is definitely pushing these pieces out where he says, he says you know, this means something in Jewish thought. So, let's look at it for one second. Paul is retaining his Jewish belief, and he says in 1 Corinthians, and I know I'm not in Galatians right now, but 1 Corinthians 8, 6, it says, yet for us there is but one God, so he's not doing a dualism pantheon thing, he's doing a monotheistic Jewish thing. There is one God, the Father, who, is f- who from all things came and for whom we live. But there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things come and through whom we live. Okay, so this is huge because he's not just saying something here. He's actually linking back to the daily prayer life of the ancient Jew, which is the repetition of Shema in, in Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, The Lord is one. And so we have this this famous daily repeated claim of monotheism. And then Paul, when he reflects back on it, he says, The Lord, we have one God and one Lord, Jesus Christ. And he brings the two together and he says, This is the one and the same. Now it took years for Paul to be able to articulate this clearly. This isn't something that just comes at the drop of a hat. This is something that Paul in prayer starts to say, God, what are you doing? And God opens up scriptures to him along with the reality that's happened around the the revelation of God's action. And Paul goes, God, I see it so clearly. What a wonderful mission you have called me in. What a wonderful mission. And so This is just huge. I'm going to fly through just a couple of things here. There's five explicit places where Paul is saying that his authority is not from. And the reason he's doing this is because he's saying that God has done something significant. God has brought him through a process, and he's not relying on these five things. The first one is he's not relying on human intuition. You know, in verse 11, he says, For I I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel was preached by me is not man's gospel. You know, often we use, we use the stories we hear to guide us in our decisions. You know, that's just our natural process. But, but Paul's saying, no, 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 it's not human intuition. I didn't just piecemeal this together. God is showing me something. When I ask the question, God, what are you doing? God is showing you something. Um, Jewish structured authority. This is not where he's getting his authority from. In verse 13, it says, For you heard of my former life in Judaism and how I persecuted the church of God violently to destroy it. You know I'm advancing in in Judaism beyond my years it's not that and so this is a really really big big piece where where he's not getting his authority from the Jewish structure but he's getting it again from from the revelation of Scripture and what God is saying he's also not getting it from tradition circulating around and uh, and so that's really really important Kent just wrote here on Slack that sometimes it's upsetting to start asking questions about the things that we take for granted. And this is exactly my point. Thank you, Kent. God purposefully rocks our world to shake us up, to ask more questions, to take our understanding of God into deeper areas. This is exactly what God is doing here. God is definitely taking us to a place where we're asking these questions, and we're not relying on the authority of old, but we're relying on the authority of Scripture that God is showing to us. You know, God. Paul, continuing, Paul is not, um, is not relying on Christian individuals um, or the church leaders. He even avoided seeing the church leaders for years because he's not relying on these people for authority. He is, though. He is. There are three explicit places where Paul is relying authority or saying his authority comes from it comes from the revelation of jesus christ because the holy spirit brings revelation to us seeking god's seeking god for the work of the spirit is part of the change he is relying on the holy spirit he is relying on him who set me apart from birth now this is really important god's mission transcends your life he sets you apart from birth and we're going to get to that in just one moment because this is where we're going to land and he relies on the father in verse 16 god himself because the authority of is is god that whose is who paul is living under so um, it says god in verse 16 god was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that i might preach him among the gentiles you know the authority comes from god himself so god through this period of questioning develops in paul a new understanding of god's mission It's not first that God develops in Paul a new understanding of Paul's mission. It's that God develops in Paul a new understanding of God's mission. Catch the difference here. When God sends you into a time of questioning, the purpose for it is so that you can see what God is doing Outside of your own context the transcendence that God is working from well before you are born to well after you are dead God is at work so <coughs> When when we see that in verse 15 Paul says but when he who set me apart from before I was born It's a statement about the transcendence of God's mission over and against our personal contribution see god's mission has never altered never has god's mission changed god has been doing the exact same thing from the beginning of time we change our understanding of god's mission changes our understanding of our position changes and through quest and 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 the questions Go from what does God want from me to what is God doing? From, from a position of, oh, everything centers on me to a position of everything centers in God's activity. Something larger than our life. He set me apart from before I was born. The mission existed well before us and it exists well after us all the way into eternity. Christians transcend the narrative of our time and space in a a time of life where everything is changing, in a time of life where where radical pivot moments, they're, they're just happening. And we have to change all the time. And we change where our church is. We change what it looks like. We go online. We break the four walls of the church. We, we change what entertainment is. We change what shopping is. We change everything. Tr- Christians transcend that by holding on to the eternal mission of God. We're called to ask God, what are you doing? What are you doing? And so this is so important. And so as we see God, or as we, as, as we at Promise Church speak of mission, we speak of God's mission, not my personal job description. It's not my marker of significance. We actually speak of what is God up to? What are God's objectives? What does God want to bring about in this church? And how does god's action move his mission along these are cosmic questions we lift our view from where paul was self-focused as a follower going through tradition to a seeker of god questioning everything where now paul understands god's mission it takes years for god to develop a new world view in us and so now we're going to we're going to see what, what Paul is saying about his place in the new worldview. Paul transitions from the place of power where everything is about him and he is making God's kingdom happen by destroying those apostate Jews who were following Jesus. And now he is and now he is saying, "I am now a servant." So in Galatians 1.10, <coughs> it says, "For now am I seeking to approve? Am I seeking for the approval of man or of God?" Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Today, we are called to reset our place in life from making our religion a position of power to making our understanding of God put us into a position of servanthood. And this is so important, to become a servant in the larger mission of God. The transformation of the Christian is more than behavioral modification. And what I need to do to gain God's approval. It's the reset that God takes time to develop in us a total worldview. You know, we'll come to a, a, a verse in chapter two in the next couple of weeks. It says, for it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The mission of God comes out of the questioning period of discipleship, and the view of what God is doing answering, answers the questions that brings us into God's mission in a time and place. So Paul understood that God was expanding the blessings of Abraham beyond the Jewish ethnic, ethnic reality into all the nations, and we see that through Genesis 12 through 15. And Paul understood that his mission from God always comes along side of what God is doing right there is where we start to transition back into promise your mission is where God takes his mission and then shows you just a little sliver that applies to you so for Paul it was in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles oh God is doing such this great thing but Paul's part is this little piece that says oh now I can pull that out of it I can serve in this way I can preach God among the Gentiles He didn't have to do all of God's mission. It was like, oh, now it applies to me again in this little area. So in the promise, when I come back from mission, I go into promise and I start to see, oh, this is how that cosmic reality of God's mission now applies to me in a very small way. So the reset's noticeable. The reset's noticeable. Verse 23. It says, they only were hearing it and they said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. The Christians, or the people of the way as they were called at that time, noticed a change, a transformation that happened in Paul over this time. They noticed something. The reset that God does in us is noticeable. When we take time to embrace and reset the changes God is calling us towards, when we allow God when we allow God to work a new worldview in us, when we ask questions about what is God doing, we are transformed, and God changes everything. So Promise Church, as a community, our mission, the promise that we hold to, that we now engage with, is always to fit inside of God's larger mission. Promised Church is an expression of the reset that God is bringing to churches, and so this is this is really really important. Just before I get into, um, just before I get into my, my conclusion, there are a couple of things that have happened on on Slack. So Josh Dale says transformation is so much more than a simple behavioral modification, and he's referring to Galatians. So I'm just gonna jump ahead here. It says are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? You're now being perfected by the flesh like this is it. It's a big deal. So Josh you're right on there where (coughs) Excuse me where God's kingdom and and his transformation is so much bigger than how we act It's actually about us understanding what God is doing and participating in it and it changes the way we act and then it says Uh, april says christian transformation is not just behavior modification i've been trying to instill this in my kids but quickly realizing that it pertains even more to myself what a what a great comment because in parenting we have the opportunity to actually see ourselves and it's so cool to be able to see what god is doing as we try to instill in our children it's it's a brilliant thing so it's very very cool and so Kent, again, says, and this is the last one, oh, Ethan's typing something, but I'll get to that maybe. Um, Kent says, we can be comfortable with our mission because it's predictable, understandable, and perhaps even humanly attainable. But God's mission can make us uncomfortable because it shatters our preconceptions and makes us truly dependent on him. Somebody once said to me, if your vision of God is, is you're able to do it, then it's not from God. And so the reliance that we have in God, where we see God's mission, is huge. God's mission, what God has been doing, is the same thing for the whole entire history of humanity. And it's massive, and it takes all that time. Where it applies to me is where it steps into the promise, and, and God says, I'm going to include you into my mission here. This is what I'm calling you to do. This is what I want you to do. And it's specific, and it's a part. It falls subservient to God's mission, and uh, and it's very, very important. So while it felt like the world was changing quickly, you know, it, it feels like the world's changing quickly, the Born series spans a change of 10 years, and it's highlighted by all the technology changes. What types of change is God bringing in your life over the next 10 years? We don't know that yet, but we can look at God and say, God, what are you doing? What are you doing in this world? What types of worldview changes are God going to bring into your heart, mind, and life? Will you allow that to impact the core elements of your life? Or will you hold on to the comfortable traditions, the human intuition, and the narratives of the day? Are you going to hold on to what's happening right now and allow that to alter all of your life? Or are you going to ground yourself in the mission of God, which has been transcending all of the cultural changes God is working to be with us and to live with us. And so he will do that and he will make all things right. And I mean, you're going to dive into this and you're going to be asking the questions of God and God's going to articulate it in his way that works. And you go, oh my gosh, I see it. It's huge. And God is so good and faithful. We are reliant on God and His scripture, His His revealed word to us to show us what He is doing, especially in a day like today. God, I know that sometimes we don't want to ask the questions, as Ethan just wrote. Sometimes we we don't want to be the people who are saying, God, what you're do what are you doing? Because sometimes that might implicate us. And so sometimes we actually work to resist what you are doing because it would mean that we have to change. But God, I pray that you would break through to each one of us as a congregation, each one of us as a church, that our eyes would be open to see what you are doing and then that you would take that cosmic answer and make it personal and say, this is where I want you to partner in this one specific way. Partner with me in what I'm doing. This is what Paul did in Galatians. This is what Paul is outlining where he's saying, I was doing this and then I saw what God is doing and now I am doing that. And so God, I pray that we would be people who were once doing this and we see what you were doing and now we're doing that. And so Jesus, I pray that we would be a people transformed by your mission and that we would be set on fire. And God, as we continue to work through that, that that fire would change the way that we live, that it would change our communities, that it would impact the way that people see the world because the, tra- the change is observable. And I pray that we would be a church that comes out of this, this lockdown, out of this pandemic in a, in, in a posture that says we are going to join with God in his transcendent mission. In Jesus' name, amen. May God bless you and keep you.